The talk tonight is about um, right effort, resistance, and trust, and some other things, gratitude. On our um, Vipassana Hawaii land, on the big island on the north of the island, we have a neighbor that um, has been helping us clear some trails. And a while ago, I was walking on the new trail with him, and he He was showing me places where he had cut and where it was difficult. Uh, it, it's, it's quite a wild trail, really. And he's a student as well as a, a good neighbor. And partway through the trail, I, I felt this like opportunity to offer him that the early years of practice is like what before the trail is cut. And... Um, it's like bushwhacking, and we don't know the way. And it, it's um, very difficult. And that once you start clearing the trail and start knowing the path a little bit, it gets easier. Maybe still difficult, but that, that you know the way, you, you have the trust. And um, when I was walking the trail with him, he had done a magnificent job, and it was pretty clear. You know, so sometimes I think um, it really made sense to him. You know, it just that physicality of it and the freshness of the clear trail. And then we were talking about how much maintenance it was really going to take. Right? You just don't clear the trail. You just don't know the path. You have to keep it maintained. And sometimes I think we, we don't have patience with that process, with our practice, that, you know, that it's just the same. Even if you've cleared the path, you have to um, maintain it, keep it clear, so that you can walk it. <clears throat> so in a way, it's like um, we know we have to keep our practice alive, and that's, that's like clearing the path. You have to keep it alive, keep it fresh, renew it. And I, I find that when I go into retreat um, without Dhamma talks, without notes, and I jump in, I relearn a lot of things. You know how you, th- you, know, you just enter into the practice again and you learn new things, but you also relearn a lot. It's like, oh... <laughs> Oh, aversion to aversion, <laughs> right? It's like, what do I do with this? But that's part of the process. It's very humbling. And it takes a lot of patience, a lot of kindness. Some years ago, I saw um, on a public television show a woman artist who had decided to make her own tightrope from scratch and learn how to walk on one. And she studied the rope making in the shipyards north of Boston. She spent months and months learning how to make rope and made her tightrope finally. 
And she videoed herself on her first attempt across the rope. <laughs> and of course, you know, she, she fell off and she kept falling off. And it just was a great um, step-by-step showing what it was like to learn to walk on the tightrope. And as you went through this process with her, it was so amazing to see that um, you never feel like you're in balance. It's like being in balance is being out of balance. Uh, the whole trip across the rope, you're right. You're just you're just constantly shifting to keep balance, and that's how moment to moment awareness is. That's how life really is. It really is shifting that much. And you know, you know that place in us that just wants to nail it shut, right? Nail it down and feel like we've got it, and you know, it's gonna we're gonna stay in that really nice place. And we 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 think that the nice place is where it's at and home, but it isn't. It can't possibly be. Life is alive. It's moving. It's constantly changing. I think it's so wonderful to get a chance to practice in a place like this, this, this um, immersion in just, just feeling day and night, just that change of light and darkness, or the, the season of spring right now, just knowing that winter was just here, right, and then spring, summer, fall, but that Nature doesn't stay still at all. And if you relate to the nighttime as a time of rest and daytime as a time of activity, again, just that should teach us so much about ourselves that we need, we need that times of rest. We're, we're not separate from that. And of course, I think... Um, it's not that I don't love electricity or all the benefits of it, but I think also having lived eight years without it off the grid, I, I learned to appreciate how much electricity, electric light, um, or even solar light will keep us going sometimes way past the energetic level of what we really can feel is, is um, in balance. So the um, word for energy, virya, in this practice in Pali, um, in my first Sayada Upandita retreat, he described it as courageous energy as courage, that, that if you think of your energy as courage and that, okay, so we do have times of higher energy, we do have times of lower energy, medium energy, but how much do we hate, really hate, the lower energy times? You're just like, what is that? Where did we get this? This lack of kindness for our own inner rhythms. It's bonkers. 
because we try to be courageous all the time. And it's not possible. And then we push, and then we feel defeated, and we have doubt again and again and again and again that we don't listen to our system. And so when we're high energy, the likelihood of mindfulness, the Brahma-viharas, the likelihood of us accessing them and getting, getting that protection, it's, it's very, the odds are high, not always. But it's learning that about yourself. It's learning that that's the time that you can really dive in there and work with the difficulty and have, like apply the courage because you have it. You have the courageous energy, so that's when you do it. And then when you're medium energy, you've got to be more careful. Low energy, again, it's always possible that the, the Brahma-vihara or um, mindfulness can appear, but the likelihood of it, the odds are lower. And so you're not as protected. And it's totally not personal. This is not personal. It's, it's just the energetics of each of us. You know, and when we have high energy, you know, we don't want to even hear about low energy. It's like, we're, we feel invincible. You know, and we're, you know, that other world, <laughs> we're so snotty, that other world where, you know, people aren't dealing well with things is really distant. And we have that secret hope, right? That secret hope we're never going to fall again. It's never going to happen again. We're not going to get caught again. But then the energy goes down. We take it personally and we push. We don't know. We don't listen. And each of us, again, are unique with this. Each of us are are different. But way back, way back, with even like physical pain, like knee pain, I would describe how to work with that physical pain in terms of energy. So with high energy, yeah, if you have some protection, you go into it, you explore it. Medium energy, don't even go in. You just stay around the edges of it or outside of it. Low energy, move away. Say hi. Of course you get called to more intense, less refined places in the mind and body. But you, you don't yank your attention away you, you get the relationship it's calling, you say hello, and then you say, not now. It's not a defeat. It's not repression. It's wise discernment. It's actually, you know, you could call it incredibly unwise to go into something when you know you're not protected, that you're going to get defeated. We all bend over backwards to teach this. Really, just you can't hear it enough because we're strivers. We're conditioned to strive. And striving isn't right effort. It's, it's greed or aversion. And there, there are different ways to try to describe this process. Now, on a, a little bit um, more technical way to describe it would be when you have 
some Brahma Vihara going. But remember that that includes mindfulness. Metta is mindfulness of metta. Karuna is mindfulness of karuna. Mudita is mindfulness of karuna. It's not separate from it. Mindfulness of upeka. So, so that when you have, you know, it's a recipe. It's like making a cake. You get flour, you know, eggs, whatever, you know, salt, baking powder, whatever you, and something else kind of delicious in the cake, right? Well, this is a recipe. There's a recipe for um, our moment, how our moment to moment experience is unfolding. There are different conditions. So if there's some mindfulness of metta, some energy, some cur- the courage, the um, interest, some equanimity, you have that all mixed together, and we tend to call that good practice. My good practice, right? It's, it, things are going our way. Things are going good. And we um, love it. And we think this is why we're here. We re- it's really hard not to. Of course, we think this is the reason we're here, the, the purity of the practice. We make an interpretation about ourselves that we're doing good. Inevitably, this purity is just like um, warm, soapy water. And if you take a dirty cloth and, you know, put it in warm soapy water and mix it up, then the dirt is meant to come out. So part of this process is putting your mind, heart, body in the warm soapy water, and we think that part is the right part. <laughs> and But when the dirt comes out, it's tricky, mainly because we didn't design this, but the dirt comes out when the energy goes down. Check it out. It's awesome. Just when you're, you know, it's like just when you're least able to deal with it. When, you know, you're, you know, you're, you don't really want it to be changing. You can feel yourself starting to, you know, react, get, you know, and, and here's this place you've been in where aversion doesn't bother you. You don't bite. It's going well. Suddenly you're biting. You're getting aversive. You feel like you can't help but think that you shouldn't be aversive. What happened? You don't. You can't quite get how it could change like that. And so we get attached to when we're, you know, not reacting, but the energy's going down, and we are reacting. And just what we need, our next step to be liberated, whatever's coming up that we're reacting to. um, Okay, then we start feeling what that we're having bad practice and we're not doing good or we're failing. It's, it's really painful. And the first one, the purity, is when we start planning other retreats, right? You know, <laughs> got to change my life. Like, got to, you know, do this more. It's so good. <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> I'm wasting my life, you know, as a lay person, not doing this. And then, <laughs> we start going down and it's like, how many days are left, right? I shouldn't have come. I could have gone on a vacation, right? You know, it's just like the opposite. It can happen in two minutes or less. If the dirt really comes out right away, it's like, why am I doing that? The doubt, it's like we feel defeated. We have doubt. And it's because we're not seeing that 
you know, on a very simple level, a, aversion or attachment or delusion has appeared. But it, when it first appears, it tends to be much more personal. And it'll take time for us to recover and do the right effort, right? What is called for. It could be maybe that we just shift to compassion for what's coming up, right? Or the equanimity, which we'll be shifting in tomorrow. But it's like, oh right, things are as they are. The uncontrollability. And I'm not grateful for the reason why there are many wounds from my past, but I am grateful for the uncontrollability of this process. Because when the difficult emotions come up, um, if I think I'm, I have control of it, um, I'm getting further and further away from the truth. So the gratitude is just for all parts of the process. So if something really difficult comes and there's resistance, that's the time to bring the most courage and care, to really be grateful for the resistance for trying to protect you. If you were fully enlightened, you wouldn't need the resistance. But if resistance comes, it means there's not enough courage, there's not enough mindfulness, Brahma Vihara, to be with it. And your system's going, actually, no, right? Where I can't be, I'm not able to be with this. And we're saying, uh, yeah, we don't want to pr- repress it, right? It's, it, you have to be careful here. It's a very delicate process of understanding that resistance, when you understand it, is trying to protect you. And if you listen to it, you can make a healthy choice, a healthy discernment of, of which, you know, ultimately being able to open up and have compassion for the resistance protecting you is a huge accomplishment. Huge. That's, this is just where trust in yourself emerges. It's easy to trust yourself when everything's going your way, right? It's hard to trust you when you're falling off the tightrope and you know you're feeling like you want to get back to the good stuff and you're you know maybe maybe something merciless is happening. Maybe merciless fear is happening. Oof, a karmic knot, some kind of really difficult thing and you're like, "Wow. I thought I got rid of you, man." Yeah. Why, why didn't I get rid of you? And this is all in the realm of, oh, thank God. If we got rid of this stuff, we'd feel like, God, we're not. We're chugging along here, we're human. That acceptance of our humanity and then of course we're like this. We have this incredible addiction to perfection. I mean, if you're not trained that way, you are so lucky. <laughs> but we are, we're just, we're just addicted to it. And so the practice is partly, it's why it's so hard <laughs> and so wonderful and so good for us, you know. So beware of that interpretation we make. 
about ourselves in response to experience itself. It's like that's really where the liberation is, is seeing over and over again, you know, that sense of um, this is good practice and I'm good. This is bad practice and I'm bad. Or seeing it in other people. You might see somebody not being mindful and it's like, that's bad practice. <laughs> They're bad, right? We don't, it doesn't have to stay inside. It doesn't usually. <laughs> so, and the second thing besides being careful of the not making the interpretation, when difficult stuff comes up, it's not remedial. It's not a regression. We're not going backwards. We're going forwards. We have another chance to to attempt to get a relationship. Another chance. So you can get the relationship without um, trying to crush the resistance or stomp through it or, or gut through it. It's like there will be a point where you need to stand in the hall or maybe go be with the tulips or just be by a cedar tree or you know whatever it is that you find helpful. It could be drinking a cup of tea on the front deck. But it usually doesn't take much to be gentle, kind, and just wait and find some... If something's really difficult and you can't be with it and you're really grinding it out, it's like, it's fine to just take that time. <laughs> I like this hot tub mindfulness metaphor, but it's, it's really that sense of finding the um, kindness and waiting for your system to... Um, be okay with not being okay. That's the equanimity. I call it equanimity, having equanimity with no equanimity. Technically it's not quite perfect a description, but it's it's an attempt to, it's like you're trying to be okay with not having equanimity. (laughs) It's a lot of what we do, folks. That's when it's courage. It's not courage when we have equanimity. We, you know, it's, everything's great, right? It's when we don't, we need it. And it, I'm making it sound simple, but it isn't. Having kindness with resistance, if it was easy, you know, the, the more I have gotten a relationship with resistance, actually the better my practice got. So it's like the more trust I've had in myself, the less extreme ups and downs. You know, my early practice was just... You know, and it really, you know, it's much more... It, of course it goes up and down, but the, there's an, an inner, much more inner evenness in it. Not perfect. Because of this trust. 
I feel like I've been coming here so long. It's like um, I really find it fascinating, really, in terms of my relationship with some of the beings. So, like the song sparrow, or the great blue heron. Or I feel like I've known these families for generations. Like I, I knew them. You know, I, I feel like I'm seeing the great great grandson. You know, or just that it's wonderful. You know, and these are relationships, a relationship with those apple trees by the ocean. And, you know, you you need to be able to think of your eyes as older. Your body, our body and mind and heart are really ancient. Not us individual births, but we're ancient, but these the loons are much, much older than humans. In terms of devotion and reverence and respect, it's like it's very in the metta, the Brahma Viharas, all these relationships are really um, meant to be cultivated and respected and and be held by, right? It's like we can be held by the ocean, we can be held by the grass, <laughs> we can be held by the earth the sky, the stars, it's just, just, it's finding these times when often when it is difficult where we need to be able to go um, learn. It's a practice to be held. And our emotions are so ancient, yeah. Not just the thought process, but fear is primal, it's ancient. Why can't we respect that? Take it, listen to it as that. I mean, sometimes it will feel like a dinosaur. (laughs) When when I'm really angry, it, it feels so, you know, like I'm a pterodactyl or, you know, something, you know. But that's great, right? That I can get a relationship with that part of the um, evolution on the planet. Agatha Christie uh, wrote A Murder on the Orient Express. And in this book, the Hercule Poirot, the, the great detective, said this, I can only see the world as it should be, which makes most of life unbearable. (laughs) That's awesome. You got to hear it again. It's so good. I can only see the world as it should be, which makes most of life unbearable. (laughs) This is how most of us operate. It's amazing. I've described in other retreats here that a teacher named Ruth Dennison that um, 
I practiced with a few times in 1978. Uh, And she had a very different style of teaching. She talked almost all the time, like through the sittings. Like, it was like, there was not one sitting that was quiet. Like, and walkings you had to do with her, the group. And um, in those days, this was early days, but uh, it was my first retreat was in the kind of cold, cold winter. And she'd take the group down in the basement, which had no heat, and um, this is every walking period, and she called it Romper Room. She was from Germany, Romper Room, Romper Room. And she'd, um, <laughs> she'd, it started with, she'd put on a, a record, a, an old 45, on, you know, you'd hear, and she'd put a record, and she'd have us moving to the music, but she'd always pick on you for not doing it right. So you, you'd, you'd, especially me, Michelle. <laughs> you're not being mindful I didn't even have a clue what mindfulness was it was like my second retreat and she would be like I'd, I'd be trying to be spontaneous and she's like mindfulness is not spontaneity <laughs> and I, I just that was the beginning of the pterodactyl rage really like it, it was just that was just like 15 minutes into the walking period and she just like picking me and picking me until um it was time to go upstairs and then uh, I think I made a big mistake I had sat in front of her and so I and I'm an aversion type so somebody talking through every sitting this was like day after day and it was probably part way through the retreat and I was just sitting in front of her and she's talking and and she just started laughing at me, and she's like, because, you know, she could tell I was just boiling. My blood was just boiling with anger at her. And she said, in front of public humiliation, she said, Michelle? And I'm like, oh, God, you know. <laughs> and she said, what is not what you want to get? <laughs> like, fifth day of the retreat, and... Uh, I was so enraged, I can't even tell you, but um, she was right. Like, I actually felt she understood what wisdom was better than anybody I'd met up until that point. And she just, she would just turn the screw in and turn it in and turn it in until you got it. I don't know anything that was more painful in my early retreats than that. It was just... um, I learned it. What is what is not what you want to get, and that's totally connected to right effort, right? Because if you can't listen to your system and adapt to when it's high energy, and you can pretty much explore anything for a while, and low energy, in which it's kind of like more driving and fog, you have to be very careful. Um, it's like it's all about accepting what is not how we want it to be. It's that, you know, we're, the Brahma-viharas are unconditional love, unconditional compassion, unconditional joy, appreciation, gratitude, unconditional equanimity, unconditional acceptance. And you can see 
we're at the point in the retreat where you can see how they're all very helpful, right? You can't really, as you practice more and more, it's hard to separate everything out into neat little boxes. They, they start to become much more um, useful and adaptable and they come up at different times. So when we have this understanding of it's about experiences about what is, not about our life, about what is, not what you want to get, then there's much more capacity for a genuine relationship with life with what is, and learning, exploring. We can't explore what we can't accept. It's not possible, because it's not the truth of what's happening. And, and I just want to add, when, when I'm suggesting that we really are conscious, aware of being held by the planet or being held by the stars or being held by our bed or our feet on the ground. It's, um, it's a way to find reassurance. We have this massive need for reassurance, all of us. In a, in a culture that is addicted to perfection, then, and that's like there's so little trust, really, or genuine relationship with anything, then, of course, underneath what's hidden is this massive need for reassurance. Massive. And when we can't get it, it's all of, all of the practices. It said all you need is within, the, the wisdom is within, the metta is within. But when we need to find it and the retreat, find that reassurance that it's, it's like we find the reassurance that it's okay that it's not okay, right? Until we feel like, oh, it's okay, we can, we can start again. In my um, first metta retreat, when I said I changed the phrases, the, the traditional phrases, and I just want to remind you that the phrases I changed them into was, may I be happy just as I am. Do you see, there's, there was me trying to find a way to do the metta when, it was <laughs> when things weren't as I wanted them, right? I didn't need to do that when things were the way I wanted them. I just would add them in as a backup, my uh, backup phrases. <laughs> Plan B. May I be peaceful with whatever's happening, right? I needed to bring in the equanimity into the phrases. Uh, and then the third was, may I love myself completely. I needed to add in, I need to love the resistance myself when, when I didn't like myself, whatever. And then the fourth I would add, when things were really bad, I would say, may I have a mind like Deepama? <laughs> Deepama was my teacher at the time, and it was like, okay. <laughs> that was plan C. So 
cultivating and developing a relationship with whatever is happening, not just what we want, I think of that as coming home. Coming home to our humanity, to whatever is happening. And that's the freedom. So when anger appears, we'll tend to think that's not what home is. When we have this massive need for reassurance, we'll think that's not what home is, right? We reject. And and there's plenty of them, but spacing out. When you're spacing out, that's, that's home. That's happening in the present moment. Resistance, sleepiness, boredom. That, you know, we have so many. Loneliness, terror, rage. I actually don't see them as afflictive. I just see them as emotions. Trying to protect us because there's no Brahma Vihara or mindfulness there. It's that simple. So when, when the acceptance comes, of course, it's very important to almost um, kind of spend some time and hold that moment open enough to feel the relief of it so you get to taste what it feels like. And I think of it if more like a, it hasn't been that kind of weather, <laughs> but it, when it's kind of cloudy, rainy, cold, and you get that even, but I think it's like this now, it's been very cold at night. When you, when you step into the sun, like at sunrise, you know, after the sunrise a bit, and you step in it and you feel that warmth, and you feel that relief, that's what acceptance feels like. It feels like this deep relief. And with our most difficult ones, like say for me with terror, you know, I won't even see the aversion to it for a while. Right? And then I'll finally get, oh, it's just aversion to it. It's okay. And there's that sense of, then the, that terror is okay. Okay. It's, it's that, oh, the whole system feels relaxed and relieved. And it feels more relieved because you've accepted something so difficult. It's a huge accomplishment. But when I can't do that, it's fine. You know, most of the time it's fine. It's like I've learned that, okay, not personal. But not all the time. I might <laughs> hate myself for not being able to do it, right? But I'm, I'm so used to that. It's just like I'm so used to all this. Like here's the self-hatred for, you know, here's that perfectionism again. You know, and just just to repeat, it's like that willingness. All the mindfulness is is that willingness to connect with what's happening and not control it. 
That's the vipassana being with what is. It's willing. It's that willingness to connect and not control. And of course, if you go down and look at the apple tree, it's kind of more easy to connect and not control, right? Or the great blue heron, or the uh, the sound of a loon. All of those ones. It's good to practice with them because you need to practice with easy, with pleasant, with neutral. You connect, not control. But with pain and the compassion, it's like, remember that sense that it's the willingness to connect, but you don't have to drown in it. You practice how deeply you go in or step away. It's like that's a lifetime learning. And we can't be perfect at it right away. How could we? There's a phrase, um, suki atanam pariharantu. Uh, and when I first heard it, because of my own conditioning, the translation was, uh, may I take care of myself happily. And I couldn't even do it. And, you know, when you whisper it to yourself in your own mind, right, you're not saying it out loud, it would be, may I take care of myself happily? Like, it would be, <laughs> she's like, what? It was so, I couldn't even imagine it. How could you even do that? Uh-huh. And um, these are things that I never pushed. I just never pushed trying to make it different than that. It would just, you know, it went on for a long time. May I, be, may I take care of it? Well, how do people do that? You know, and then this year when I was on retreat and um, Jesse had shown me a translation he had done before the retreat, which was um, feeling the um, goodness of taking care of yourself, feeling the happiness of taking care of yourself. That might sound really different, but something shifted for me. And I noticed when I was like doing the dishes You know how dishes just kind of keep appearing, you know, (laughs) day after day. And uh, I never learned to, like, do dishes with, like, oh, boy, taking care. You know, there are certain, I didn't learn to do much like that. So um, it started with the dishes. It was so cool. I was like, oh, I can do this with the sukiyatanam pariharantu. And it just started going into everything. Just everything. Even really working, overworking, overworking, overworking. Every time I'd remember, I'd be like, oh, just trying to make the retreat happen at Hollyhock. <laughs> you know, Sukhiyatana. I'm trying to take care of everyone. You know, it was just like everything. It went from not being able to do it at all for all these years to just becoming accessible. I'm not saying, this is not something I'm going to figure I'll perfect for a long time. It's my, one of my karmic knots, my conditioning, but boy, did it change and sudden. So be careful. Like sometimes it'll feel like, you know, with the difficult conditioning and if you've practiced a long time, guess what's left? (laughs) 
no, really, if you've been at it a long time, what's left are the places that are really hard to get relationships with, and we tend to judge them mercilessly. I still do this. Oh, what a crappy person I am, right? I, you know, or that. It's just you. Th- oh. And you'll see how you can judge other people. Oh, the Dalai Lama does that? Oh, how could he do that, right? I didn't think he could do that. (laughs) That was a stupid advice he gave, right? Like, it's like, oh my God, we are expecting him to be perfect, right? It's just like, wow. And, you know, underneath, again, all of this, the hidden, the hidden shame, the shame, we don't advertise it. It's one of the human emotions. We just don't go around saying we're feeling. And it really causes us so much pain. We're not good enough, never good enough. Getting a relationship with that is really, that's when you start feeling like, whoa, doing the practice. There's a um, forest refuge on the big island. And it's become, one of its aspects is that it's become a refuge for endangered birds. And Hawaii has such um, a, a tragic list of endangered species or extinct species. And what's so amazing about this small area on in Hawaii, never mind the planet, is um, on all the islands there's been a gradual extinction of the native birds because of avian malaria. And so most of the islands that had high enough mountains that it was cold enough that the avian malaria didn't go to would have the, um, still have some of these birds left, native birds left. Um, and then in recent years, even Maui and Kauai have lost them because of, because of global warming. So the global warming is causing the, the rise of the temperatures higher up in the mountains. And so there's only on the big island are these birds left, and there's very few. So there's a man um, that has devoted his whole life to, to trying to protect these birds. And um, it's so moving to go out there with him. And I think of that phrase by Blaise Pascal, when things are difficult, keep something beautiful in your heart. And there's one bird, the Akepa, this beautiful orange little bird that there's so few left. And when I keep that bird in my heart, just uh, 
rooting for it, you know. And you see that this man has really, again, devoted his whole life to protecting them. So what they found was that they would have to protect this huge area. They had to make a pig fence because um, <clears throat> the native species were being um, destroyed by the pigs or the feral cats, etc. You know, the cats would go after the birds. And, um, so, and they started replanting co- with koa forest and ohia and there's some old growth in there. Uh, and they're finding that the birds can't survive, nor the native plants survive without each other. So when the birds, you know, there's this one bird, a thrush, that if it eats some native seed and then poops somewhere else, that's how the forest is regenerating. And he's been there so long that he can, he shows you every plant he's planted and every tree and just like he gets so excited you know there's one bird called the akia pololao and i can hardly say it right and and <laughs> that's the rarest and so he'll be you'll be out there for a while with him and he's like an akia an akia pololao you know and it's so um again it's so moving he'll say how many are left on the planet and it's like wow just amazing But what I love about him is some very so-called common pheasant will appear to him and he'll just get as excited about it. He'll be the, that's a Kaliji pheasant. It's from India. There's like billions of them right on the planet. And he gets just as excited. And that's really a teaching. Like he so loves, he loves, loves these birds. He loves these plants. He said, after I was like, wow, you even like these pheasants, huh? And he's, I just I was teasing him. And he said, I love all the birds. Every time I see a rare bird, it makes me want to do more for them. And he's just going to be at it. It's just, he's old, he's getting old, he's retired. <sighs> what it takes him to even drive there and meet you and take you out there and it's it's just amazing and in the hair that is that just the metta the compassion the mudita the equanimity making full effort without attachment to the result of your, your effort because it's the right thing to do And that's what we're doing with our heart and mind and body. We're really, we know so deeply that home is liberation. And it's being, having a relationship with each of our precious life's moments, no matter what it is. And then we're able to be there for other people and other beings, no matter what's happening with them. It's not a selfish process. And sometimes it's joyful, sometimes it's boring, and sometimes it's excruciating. (laughs) That's life. That's good. I don't think I've seen much in my lifetime that's worthwhile that isn't really difficult. Really difficult. 
so I'd like to um, Tolstoy wrote Anna Karenina, or Anna Karenina, 1877. So this is a little quotation from his book. All this happened at the same time. A boy ran up to a pigeon and, smiling, looked at Levin. He's a little boy. The pigeon flapped its wings and fluttered off, sparkling in the sun amidst the air trembling with snow dust, while the smell of baked bread wafted from the window as the rolls appeared in it. All this together was so extraordinarily good that Levin laughed and wept with joy. Let's sit for a minute. May we be peaceful with whatever is happening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.